0: Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit
1: exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This
0: is News Talk.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour.
3: We're adding one last chip to the M1 family
4: and it's going to blow your mind.
2: Apple unveiled a suite of new products this week. We'll talk through the new lineup. As the attacks on Ukraine continue, we'll take a closer look at the new fake news law in Russia. Plus.
0: Hello, Aladdin. Nice to have you on the show. Can we call you Al or maybe just Din? How about Ladi? Sounds like here, boy. Come on,
2: Lucky. Disney is putting forward a lower-priced offering. Meanwhile, Netflix is charging a few extra euro. Gordon Hayden will join me to look at what's going on in the world of streaming. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Now, the heartbreaking scenes continue to flood our news feeds as the war on Ukraine rages on. Last week on this show, we looked at how big tech responded in the early stages of the Russian invasion, but... As you might imagine, things have shifted yet again. And we're hearing talk of the introduction of fake news laws in Russia. The journalist Jasper Hamill joins me now. Um, Jasper, firstly, you're very welcome to the show. Can you just tell us a little bit more about these fake news laws?
4: Well, uh, first of all, the word invasion um, is banned in Russia. So if if you post a social media post or you upload a video to TikTok or, or YouTube, um mentioning the invasion then you risk falling foul of these fake news laws and these are not fake news laws with small punishments um, at worst you can get up to 15 years in jail and of course the Kremlin's definition of fake news um, is probably even more flexible than Donald Trump's um so it's a huge has a huge freezing effect on society where people are, are scared to speak out and now you have tech companies where they're scared to host these people speaking out so for instance TikTok, you can't up if you live in russia you can no longer upload content to TikTok, um and you could as TikTok is considering the legal implications of these bans because in america you'll if you're TikTok, if you're facebook if you're a social media platform you're protected by um rules which mean you're treated as a platform, so the opinions of your users are not the opinion of the platform itself, so it can't be sued, uh, can't get into trouble legally that way, whereas in Russia, is it clear that if TikTok publishes something that uses the word invasion or is critical of the regime, we don't really know whether that means TikTok itself will be punished, so it's a, it's a huge and thorny issue um, with, with, it must be scary thinking for yourself in Russia at the moment, if you're a dissident in Russia at the moment, it must be scary time.
2: Yeah, you you referred to, you know, the definition of fake news. This is obviously all part of the information war that we've been hearing so much about, but also uh, propaganda, like it's old school techniques being used when it comes to new media. Do we know how it's being policed and do we know what services it's monitoring? Is it everything and anything from a newspaper to a TikTok account?
4: Yes, I would imagine it was. The the actual workings of the Russian state are sort of murky at best, Um, but we know they've got, for instance, uh, a building full of internet trolls whose job it is to post propaganda and foreign propaganda often in America and uh, and, and Ireland and Britain and the West and Europe. Um, So we don't really know how it works, but it's a fairly safe bet that they'll be using some sort of automated software to search for posts that that contain trigger words and then investigating further um i guess it's this concept of a there's this old concept of a prison called a panopticon you know where where prisoners never know whether they're being watched or not or so they assume they're always being watched and i think in russia if you were a social media user or an influencer you would probably assume that you're you're going to be watched at some point so you're going to be very careful what you say 15 years in jail is a long time that's a punishment you would associate with the Stalin era of being sent to the gulag 15 years hard labor Mm. you know it doesn't seem like a 2022 kind of sentence so I would imagine that anyone in Russia that's on social media or a social media influencer is going to be extremely cautious with what they post
2: it's terrifying and, and it goes against all of the conversations and arguments that we would have here in Ireland about social media in terms of, you know, free speech, expression, expression of opinion, sharing of information, being a safe space for whistleblowers to flag, you know, things that are go- going awry and so on. As this clampdown happens and as I as I referred to earlier on in the show, last week we were talking a little bit about what big tech platforms were doing in response uh, to the invasion where like are people getting around it are they using vpns to try to try and share information so that there is accurate information rather than propaganda being put out there in the ether
4: yes they definitely are and um, certainly in russia so there's a kind of a two-tier media ecosystem um, in russia you've got the official state media which is on the television and, and to a certain extent the papers and. And the internet and they are relied they are viewed as reliable and honest by a, a large proportion of the russian population so i guess you'd call that the mainstream media but it's state-controlled mainstream media and you've certainly got an, an, an underground bubbling under which younger people and internet users certainly engage with um, twitter is now banned twitter has, has played a very important role in many kind of social revolution uh, you know real revolutions even um, and kind of social justice campaigns across the world, and it's now banned in Russia. But it's very recently, and I think it was yesterday, it did it, it launched a um, website on Tor. So that's a, that's the dark net or the dark web, which is a, a largely privacy-focused anonymous, anonymous sort of shadow internet um, that you can access through Tor, the onion router. Um, and so now you can get around the sensors in Russia and access Twitter on the dark web, reasonably safe in the knowledge that your identity Will be masked or at least be at least more difficult to discover. Um, so that's I think that's a very interesting development. I think Twitter has got to be got to be praised for that because it's certainly I've, I've, it's the first time Twitter has run a website on the dark net. So that that seems to me to be a sort of historic moment almost.
2: Yeah, and it's really important that we have the, these types of conversations because I think you know we're very very lucky here in Ireland and even in the UK and significant portions of the world that. We get to look at the frivolous side of social media, and obviously there are serious things like cyberbullying and so on that can can happen on these platforms. But in instances of war or terrorism, they become vital tools for reporting. I remember when the Charlie Hebdo attack happened, when numerous of, of those type of terror attacks happened, Twitter did become a vital outlet for information but there is always that the worry that there is, you know, uh, fake news, disinformation, misinformation, reposting of images and videos from other times. So how important is the verification of the media that not only is being consumed in Russia and Ukraine, but also elsewhere in the world when it comes to this war?
4: Well, it's fundamentally important. And I, and I guess the verification of the media happens in real time. Um, and the crowdsourced nature of social media, I think, can, can help with that. So I think, for instance, we had... And this was from the Ukrainian side, there was the posting of a, of a mobile crematorium that the Russians had supposedly brought into the battlefield with them, um, expecting thousands of people to be dead and then they would create the bodies in this mobile crematorium. But, but that picture turned out to be old. It, it was a Russian mobile crematorium, but it wasn't linked to the current invasion. Um, so, so even on the, from both sides, there's likely to be images that are either old or, or fake or, or incorrect or even just misleading. Uh, and so there's always an ongoing process to verify them in, in real time. And there's organizations that work at this like Bellingcat, for instance, which is um, sort of open source intelligence. So they, they pour over images from satellite maps um, and images from dash cams and images from CCTV or whatever they can get their hands on. And they, and they piece together events from these images. And so they could, they, for instance, previously tracked the progress of Russian weapons um, into the Crimea and, and they'll be hard at work at the moment not only verifying footage um, and verifying film and photograph photographs, but working hard to understand what uh, all the intelligence means within the other kind of media that they're getting from the battle zone and, and indeed in, in Russia and beyond.
2: Uh, We were talking to Kira O'Brien on the show last week about how the the initial response, I suppose, from big tech firms, whether that was Google, Apple, Twitter, Facebook. um, How significant is it that big tech firms are taking action on this issue? Because as far as I can remember, they've always sort of dodged getting involved or, you know, tying themselves too closely to an opinion or an attitude or an outlook. Is it just that what's happening is so abhorrent that they can't actually avoid not getting engaged on it, if you know what I mean?
4: Yes, that's an interesting question. I've wondered this because I, I find myself thinking if this was happening in China, mm. then maybe the attitude would be different. China is a huge market for them. Um, and I, I, I'm not actually sure of the market share, Facebook, Google, etc. have in Russia, but it, it might not be significant I, I just wonder if they're free to act because there's no economic imperative i don't know the answer to that it's just a question in, in my mind um i it, it is surprising I, they've become less and less neutral i suppose i mean that there is undoubtedly um a certain bias in silicon valley um to a certain extent they do try to be neutral but there's undoubtedly a bias um towards i, I guess the left in america so we've seen donald trump booted off Twitter, Um, I'm I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree with that, I'm just describing Mm. um, what happened. Uh, So so it's not necessarily surprising that they would come out on on the Western side of the argument um, because people have been so appalled, Western populations have been so appalled and the governments have been appalled that it would seem surprising if the the biggest companies in the West weren't at least affected by that. Um, And I think uh, eventually users would be asking, what are you doing about Ukraine? Um, wh- why are you still doing business in Russia? So I guess they're heading that off at the pass um, because I think people are so angry that sooner or later they would demand action. And so perhaps they're taking it preemptively.
2: And I, I want to be devil's advocate and I don't think, dig- if you can't answer, that's completely fine. But I just wonder if we look at, what, at the action that the big tech firms are taking on this issue in this instance, is there the danger or the potential that in a few months time, Another issue will crop up, whether that is, you know, another instance of Donald Trump trying to get reelected or anything, anything or everything. And people then should rightly be able to say, well, you took action on in the instance of the Russian invasion on Ukraine. It shows that you're not as helpless as you may have claimed to be in the past. So what are you going to do about it?
4: Well, I think that's an excellent point. And absolutely, I guess, once the mechanics of censorship, the mechanisms of censorship, Are in place, then they will be used again. Um, and the voice of campaigners can be extremely hard to drown out these days because campaigners of all shapes, sizes, and stripes will get on social media and launch these campaigns and say, Why aren't you taking action, big tech firm? And and when you're being bombarded with a thousand tweets, it looks like the population is very angry and there's always a temptation to to bow to their requests. So I I think it is a bit of a slippery slope, to be honest. There's the censorship of, for instance, RT, which is the Russian news channel, which famously Alex Salmond, former First Minister of Scotland, has a show on, Um, and that's been banned on YouTube uh, and it's been banned on Facebook. and It's also been banned across the EU. Um, And I think that's I I, I don't see how anyone can really welcome that, because if you can ban one thing, what's the next thing that's going to be banned? And yeah, I, I do fear it's a slippery slope. And I guess if this war worsens, which I I hope to goodness it it doesn't. If it becomes a a conflict beyond just Ukraine, I think we should expect much more censorship. Um, It's the nature of wartime. The first casualty of war is truth. So I think it is a slippery slope. I think that's a good point. There's something we should all be worried about.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it is something that we will, of course, uh, continue to cover here on News Talk, both on air and online. Uh, for the moment, journalist Jasper Hamill, thank you so much for joining me here on News Talk. Coming up next, how much is too much to spend on streaming?
0: Tech talk on News Talk
1: with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exerted.ie forward slash VMware.
0: We've had an extraordinary relationship with the world's creative community, and the Mac has been such an important tool for these users. We're excited to bring them an entirely new system, Mac Studio and Studio Display, and to see all of the amazing things they will do with it. It's remarkable to think about the profound impact Apple Silicon is having on the Mac and our other products. The A15 Bionic drives the most powerful phones in the world, iPhone 13 and iPhone 13 Pro. And today we introduce two striking new green finishes. The new iPhone SE, our most affordable iPhone, is also now powered by the incredible A15 Bionic chip. The new iPad Air takes a big leap with the M1 chip, as well as 5G, center stage, and beautiful new finishes. It's truly remarkable what Apple Silicon makes possible. It delivers industry-leading performance, technologies, and advancements. And the seamless integration of hardware and software enables us to provide experiences that no one else can. We look forward to seeing what our users will do with all of these incredible products and the impact they will have on people's lives.
2: That was Tim Cook unveiling the latest lineup of products from Apple on Tuesday evening. So we now have a new affordable iPhone SE, a super powerful iPad Air, which I'm very excited about, uh, and an M1 Ultra chipset, which will be game-changing for those who demand a lot from their devices. We will, of course, have reviews of all of the above in the coming weeks here on News Talk. But another thing that Tim Cook mentioned on Tuesday was that Apple Plus will be streaming two baseball games every Friday night. This is yet another shift in the entertainment landscape, with streaming services continuing to put traditional TV channels under pressure. But Apple wasn't the only streaming service in the news this week. We had price hikes from Netflix and a proposed new lower tier from Disney+. Film critic Gordon Hayden joins me now. Gordon, uh, what was your initial reaction to the proposal from Disney, firstly? At
1: first I kind of thought, "Hmm, I wonder really why they're doing this because the whole point of streaming for the most part is that you're availing of this service because the last thing you want is ads. You, You want to be able to watch movies and shows in the comfort of your home or wherever if you're out and about and not be bombarded with a constant stream of ads and because I know for an awful lot of people YouTube can be quite cumbersome in that regard and because they've really now just laden on the ads. But for the likes of Disney, you're kind of thinking, you know, you're gonna to go toe to toe with Netflix. And bearing in mind Netflix is very much against um adding ads to their service. Why would you want to do that? But I did a bit of digging and I kind of figured out well I think that there's a reason why Disney are oh out. go
2: on go on.
1: Well you see it's last year um, there was a bit of a slowdown in the growth of subscribers especially in North America and now Disney has another streaming service stateside, Hulu, and they have a tiered system when it comes to advertising, and it has worked for Hulu. And I'd say Disney kind of thought, we're really we kind of still way behind in regard to Netflix. They've got about 130 million subscribers. Uh, The Netflix have about over 220, something like that million. So I think for Disney, they're kind of thinking, we're still slowing down the race. And if we bring in this ad-supported tiered system, you know what? Actually, we could end up nearly making more money off the ad supported system. Granted, it's going to be lower in price. So for families that do want to avail of all the Disney content from the movies from TV shows, et cetera, by coming in at this lower price model might attract more uh, customers. Plus, we can get an awful lot of big brands on board as well. The thing is, though, as a father myself, my children, when it comes to ads, they're just, they can't deal with it. No. And because like that, they are really into streaming services. And the other day, Jess, they, they, this is no word of a lie. Um, my kids would normally gravitate toward the likes of Netflix and uh, and say Disney+. Plus. And I know there's other streaming services out there as well. But when they had to watch what would be deemed terrestrial television, um, they were watching like a, a, a kid's cartoon uh, network. The, my son goes, Dad, how do I, how do I, he had the remote control. He said, how do I Fast forward through the ads, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Son, you can't. This is this is going out live." So I had to explain it to him. He's getting really frustrated. He's like, "Oh God, this is so annoying." Dad.
2: But Gordon, Have i watch all these ads. I'm 33, and I feel the exact same way. <laughs> I cannot stand the ads. I'm the person that pays for YouTube premium and then I'm aghast when I'm in somebody's house who doesn't have YouTube premium and then an ad pops up. I do not understand it. I am the impatient millennial who needs everything ad-free. And I just, I'm kind of struggling to see like how and uh, uh, ju- Disney could justify having the ads as well as a subscription payment like isn't the whole idea that if you pay for content you're bypassing the ads or are they realizing that you know people just aren't happy to pay you know 30 40 50 quid for traditional tv but they're maybe willing to pay six seven quid for streaming services and tolerate some ads on top of that as well
1: see the interesting thing as well yeah it's so true Jess and Disney, in terms of its streaming model, it's considered to be one of the cheaper options, especially stateside. You're paying at something like $6.99 a month. Now, the the CEO, Bob Chapek, he's recently taken over from Bob Iger. He's hinted that there may be price hikes coming in September of this year. Now, that hasn't been guaranteed, but it's still relatively cost effective uh, as a model. So if you're going to be hit with the ads god knows how much they're going to charge for that because that still hasn't been uh has, hasn't come to the fore but if this works the plan is to roll this out internationally next year now again stateside disney's not on its own i mentioned hulu but then some of their other competitors are also offering this tiered system as well paramount plus warner brothers and uh, they've got hbo max they're doing it too and they in Universal Pictures they've got their own streaming services which goes under the horrendous name of Peacock so they all offer a tiered system and I'd say uh, the likes of Disney have went you know what maybe we're not making as much money as we hope. There's been a slowdown in growth in North America. Now, granted, they did get more subscribers um, overseas. So internationally, Disney Plus is doing quite well, but they're seeing what the other streaming services are doing, and it seems to be working for them, and it hasn't offset their particular margins. So maybe they feel like, well, listen, Maybe we'll join them. But it now means that Netflix and Apple TV Plus, they're the only streaming services that are not going down the ad route. Mm.
2: And maybe that's why we saw Netflix increase their prices this week. I, I have the the press release from Netflix in front of me here of the 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 increase. So for someone like me who pays for the premium plan, it's gone up from 1799 to 2099. The basic plan is still very affordable though, seven ninety-nine to eight ninety-nine. But maybe they have to keep hiking up the prices to deliver such good quality content uh, and not have to force ads upon us.
1: Yeah, you see, and this is the thing because, again, Disney have such a library of content. They were going around town and they were buying up everything. From, remember at the time, Pixar, they bought Pixar for $7 billion. They bought the likes of Marvel and Lucasfilm for over $4 billion. The problem with Netflix is, and this has been well documented, is that they don't have any IP up there with the likes of a Marvel or a Pixar. So they have to create all that content in order to create that content the subscribers that's where they're getting that money from now granted they're getting investment and stuff like that and they've been very very transparent saying we're going to be in the red for a number of years but it, we will get into the black uh down the road because we're going to get all these subscribers I have to be honest with you I'm still, I'm little, I am still and Jess listen I'm going to hold my head and ha- hang my head in shame here but I am part of the standard definition when it comes to uh Netflix I kind of looked at my really? kids they mainly watch it and I'm kind of got. You know what? I'm not going to be paying twenty odd quid. I'm happy for them to watch standard definition for about seven ninety nine. Granted, I know it's gone up there now by Euro, but I just kind of feel like I can't. I just, Jess, I find it. I know it's better quality in terms of the uh, the vision side of things with the, with higher definition, but it's still a lot of money.
2: It's a huge amount of money. I was, you know, when I was talking to Andrew Gilligan on Lunchtime Live about this on Thursday of this week, the day it was announced, and. I was sitting at my desk with a pen and paper trying to work out how much I actually spend on streaming services because I have the premium plan on Netflix, I have Spotify Premium, I have Apple Music, I have, uh, you know, Apple TV, I have Disney, I have Amazon Prime, I then have cloud storage space, so I have Dropbox and all of these little subscriptions that started out at like 5 99 a month have all crept up bit by bit and that's before mm-hmm. you take into account your phone bill, your broadband, buying a TV, getting good speakers, it's a very expensive habit to be entertained at home
1: it sure is absolutely and see this is the thing as well is because you're getting all this content and it's going like for example what what disney did as well and a number of other big streaming services did was offering this p- premium package you might remember um for example when we when we had the pandemic that uh, we were at the height of it, it w- they w- what uh, universal pictures wanted a road test was offering a premium service for trolls world tour or whatever it was called and you had to pay like 20 odd quid and people did People did. Now, Disney have tried to test the market um, with this sort of service, which I kind of felt was a bit of a bit of a a bit, quite irksome when you're already forking out money for it. But there are all these little additions that come now with Mm -hmm. certain streaming services. Where these ads are going to start populating this lower tiered system, um, it it still remains to be seen. I don't know if it will be similar to like watching a movie on the likes of RTE or Virgin Media Television, and suddenly it's going to be populated with maybe X amount of ads within an hour. Whereas I don't know if we're going to see pop-ups along the way, But again, if there's a whole generation that treats entertainment like fast food, I want it now, I want to consume it, and I just don't want to, I really want to forget about it afterwards. If you're going to be hit with a bombardment of advertising, it'll drive you absolutely spare, hence why I I don't know many people that have the free Spotify uh, uh, account, because I know for me, To be hit with a load of ads while I'm listening to music, I just can't deal with it. So again, I would be treating my streaming services the exact same way. I just, unfortunately for me, even if it's cheaper, I can't be dealing with the ads.
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I want to ask you though about the content because I hear you all the time talking about the latest, you know, brilliant movies and what we should be watching and so on. One of my biggest frustrations with Netflix, and again, I have it and I love it and I'd be lost without it is that stuff doesn't last on Netflix. As in, you could be midway through a TV series that's on Netflix and then tune in the next month and it's disappeared from the platform. There's no guarantees. Mm. There's no longevity of stuff. And I feel like we, the consumer, will pay to watch something because obviously piracy is not cool and it's so easy now to get stuff legally. So we're more than happy to pay for our content. But if content keeps moving around from place to place to place, again, we, the consumer, get screwed out of money.
1: Yeah, and what's, what the Netflix have done now is that they almost give you a warning. It's like, this film will be finished by a certain date. Mm. So they, they are giving you this sort of warning, which means that you kind of do have to uh, try and uh, rush yourself into kind of binge-watching a particular series. But that is a frustrating part of it, whereby nothing is a guarantee. You, because, again, Netflix is trying to license so much material, whereas, uh, again, Disney has the, has a vault full of it, it ain't going anywhere. Uh, along with Paramount and along with Universal Peacock, they already have all this particular content. Now granted, they're they're bringing in uh, content from elsewhere, but by and large, a majority of the content they own. Whereas Netflix is having to do a balancing act between its own homegrown productions and stuff that they're having to license like say for example the um, recently marvel um a lot of the um the shows that would have been on Netflix we going back maybe like the likes of, um, when back in 2019 when Disney plus started November 2019 it was announced Netflix we're taking back a lot of the, those uh, those products like uh, daredevil and luke cage and, and those type of uh, shows so people were like oh right so if i wanted to watch that i'm gonna what now have to start subscribing to disney that is that how i'm gonna have to watch it so that is one big thing that unfortunately for a consumer you are left with that that uh that worry that this show might not be always there and sometimes it, it'll come and go it's quite transient in that regard so, yeah, unfortunately, we still are at the mercy of these streaming services.
2: And, you know, you referred to having kids there. We all know that you're big into your movies and TV. Is there one that you would say offers better value, better calibre content? Or does it all depend on what you fancy when you sit down on a Friday night to turn on the telly?
1: That is a very good question, Jess. It is pretty, yeah, it's a pretty difficult one. I would say, oof. Like, for example, at the moment, like Apple TV Plus, I have that subscription as well. I, I'm like yourself now. I've got subscriptions the there, with Zoom, but I do find, unfortunately, with Apple, there's not an awful lot of content there. And the other kind of irksome thing is that even if you have your subscription, that doesn't mean you're getting a deal on renting and movies and stuff for free, but I still would gravitate toward Netflix. I think with the thing with Disney Plus is I'm a big Star Wars fan and I'll always go to see uh, some of the Star Wars TV shows like The Mandalorian and Mm. The Book of Boba Fett, but um, Pam and Tommy, because since they brought in that adult side of things because of all the Fox uh, products that they have, that was a a way to sort of bring me back into the content. But really and truly, I think Netflix have that balancing act of having the adult-based content along with the kid content as well. And also you can separate things out. So for example, if I want to have my own uh, channel within Netflix, I can then um, curate it to my own tastes and then my kids it's similar to theirs. So for example, if I want to watch particular documentaries that I don't want them really to see, well then I have my own page essentially. So I think that is a really good side to the likes of Netflix. I always gravitate there. I think their content is still extremely uh, strong. But Disney, for me, I've seen quite a lot of it already. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it really is for my kids. That's a, for by and large why I have it.
2: Can I ask you one final question? Just what I think of it. Uh, before, after the outbreak there, when we came back, I was talking about the Apple event on Tuesday. And Tim Cook announced that uh, Apple TV is now going to be showing baseball, two baseball games on a Friday night. Do you think mm-hmm. sport could be a key factor for people signing up. So if you are interested in whether it is NFL, baseball, rugby, like whatever, even Wimbledon. I I know there was talk about that being shown on, I think it was Amazon Prime a few years ago. Do you think that that could be a key factor in determining which profiles and which subscriptions people pay for?
1: Do you know what? That could be a real game changer. Now, granted, um, with the likes of Disney, and um, they have ESPN, mm-hmm. so there could be an opportunity for them to try and do that. It's, again, it, it all goes back to the licensing side of things. So, uh, with the likes of Sky Sports, they've hoovered up all the premiership type of content there as well. So, yeah, it would be... Do you know what? It's... It's definitely something, I think it's only a matter of time before that starts to happen. Um, because you have an, you have certain, for example, sports apps that have bought an awful lot of, say, Champions League football matches and then they license them out to television stations. So it would be intriguing to see if that is going to be another side to streaming services down, down the road. Will we get a sports section within, uh, say, Disney Plus or even Netflix, but if if Apple are making that move, you can be sure that others are going to follow suit. Look at Disney; they've already seen what their competitors are doing with these lower-tiered app subscription platform uh, uh, systems. So they're now uh, uh, doing the same. If sport and uh, sport, in the end of the day, that is pulls in huge uh, sponsorship, huge figures in terms of viewership, it would be crazy if they if any of the big streamers aren't thinking that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, no doubt we'll be talking about all of this yet again because I don't think this will be the last price hike or indeed uh, other offering from a streaming service. Uh, Gordon Hayden, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us here on News
1: Talk. Thanks, Jess.
0: Tech Talk on News Talk
1: with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. If you want to get in touch at any stage, you can do so. Techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess KellyNT. And if you're on the hunt for a bingeable podcast that will have you on the edge of your seat, look no further. Unusual Suspects is the number one podcast that I have been hooked on over the last number of days. Just take a listen to the first few minutes of the introduction.
1: So yeah, one evening in January 1993, it's sort of typically cold, bad
2: weather evening in January here, there's a Brinks Depot, which is one of the larger,
1: most historic money-protecting companies in the country. And so one night, some masked gunmen go in, they pretty much take down the guards who were in there counting
2: the money, uh, they they pull a van uh, into the depot, they load up 7.4 million and drive off with a hostage
3: they gone.
0: This is a story about a crime. Gunman entered the Brinks armored car facility on South Avenue last night wearing ski masks. At least $7 million is missing. It's a crime unlike any other. They are an unlikely cast of defendants. The Irish priest of Manhattan. It's got more twists and turns than a dime novel. The IRA man turned comic book dealer. You can't make this stuff up. And an ex-cop. This is like a once-in-a-career case all
3: drawn together by one of the biggest heists in American history.
0: Little there we know FBI are watching it 24 hours a day. $7.4 million vanished,
3: the FBI chasing the strangest group of suspects and trying to untangle a web that stretches from Belfast and the H-blocks and blanket protests along Kesh all the way to the pages of Spider-Man comics and the streets of Manhattan.
0: Well, have you met Father Pat? He was a worthy adversary, let's just put it that way.
1: I refer to them as the FBI. In order to be one of them, you have to be a sociopath and a pathological liar. You have to be. When the Army, the Navy and the Air Force come to take me away years ago, they covered the front of the building, the back of the building.
3: What happened was...
2: Oof, and it only gets better from there. It is called Unusual Suspects. Uh, it's presented and produced by the multi-award winning Owen Brennan. Uh, and you can hear it now on the News Talk app, powered by GoLoud and I would one hundred percent recommend it. Now, Morris Olditch, Thomas O'Leary, Shockton, Niall Goggs, the couple of folk on show air news talk, August are fudd na coma, August K. Gwyl, Octry are fudd na tiara Connie O'Leary, the anaquatic dullerai air Lena Im She a don ojass Jura hor Ferbrah Connra Niall Goggs thashe lumenish a don faltir ashca tech talk. Tom, sure, I'll scream you a Um, As I said in the introduction, there we've all been trying to do bits and pieces to support Shacht uh, na Gweilga, and although I am aware of a lot of this because I went to a Gaelic school, I have Irish and I work with the Irish language, I feel that things are changing, attitudes are changing, and the visibility of the Irish language is changing, and I wanted to talk to you about this because I am wondering how vital or how big a role has social media played in that um, increased visibility.
3: So I suppose social media is is a central channel of communication, and uh, with any language, that's important. But I think particularly with Irish, um, where the revival of the Irish language, I've seen, and I've been I've been working with the Irish language now for maybe ten or 12, 12, 12 years or so, um, is is the big revival we've seen is young people. So the the Grail school the movement, people who go through your colosty sour during the summer, and um, the people who are and um, just the, the, thankfully the way irish has being taught has changed uh, not, not enough in my uh, my view but it is getting better and there's more emphasis on positive things and and, and on the way irish is spoken so we're seeing all that generation now where they're where they, they the channels of communication use most are social media and thankfully we've seen a massive jump in, in irish on social media whether that be the amount of tweets that have been sent in irish which is Past millions now, and it's going up, increasing it the whole time. Whether it be um, the amount of TikToks in Irish, I think uh, we last checked the other day, and there's um, what's the figure now? There's over 109 million uh, TikToks uh, or views on TikToks with hashtag Gaeilge, Whether it be Snapchat, where there was over 2 billion uses of the Irish language filters on, on 2 billion, they're not million of the Irish language filters in Snapchat. Um, and all these kind of platforms that young people are using, we're seeing, it's giving them different ways to interact with the language. And that's just an incredibly positive thing. So th- uh, and thankfully, because young people are getting to interact with the language in, in these different ways um, through social media, I suppose uh, they don't have, suppose, a lot of the hang hangups for maybe uh, an old, older generations. Uh, I know my generation and older, uh, a lot of my friends would have, um, would only have dealt with the language in, in, in school via textbooks. And uh, thankfully, that's changing, and people are seeing the language in a much more social aspect. Um, and seeing it on social media is great. Uh, one thing, one thing that's amazing we've seen recently is that the rise of Irish language social media influencers. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever your thoughts are on social media influencers, they are there, and it's great that we have loads of them now. Oscoelga, and some of them are doing really well for themselves. Oscoelga, and um, just a really positive thing that people have kind of those. Um, role models or people to look up to that are doing great content and great, great, great things through, through, um, through the Irish language.
2: Yeah, one of the things that I um, talk about quite a bit, and I think I've spoken to you about it, this on this programme before, is I went to an Irish language school, I did Irish in college, but then when I entered the workforce, I didn't really have an outlet for my, for th- my ability to speak Irish. And what I find great is that social media gives people an outlet. And I also think, you know, I've noticed in the last number of years, the number of people who have either Grail Gore or Lara Grail Gallum in their bios. And their Irish probably isn't, you know, you know, academically perfect, uh, perfect. You know, they probably don't use every shevu and err that they're meant to. But they're trying, and it, it's that initiative and those attempts that are keeping the Irish language not just alive, but thriving, in my opinion.
3: Absolutely. And it's all about kind of creating that positive message that, you know, and that's what Shock uh, energy Lenergy is all about. It's all about using, like, you saw Peyrud Thoggit, your Kupla Fokal, or whatever you have. Um, and that's that's the way to, to kind of get involved with it. And I think that's the central message around a lot of things with what we try to do with the language now um, um th- 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 and and you kind of see the things that are thriving with the language uh, outside of education things like pop up well which which is all about that come along and this use of whatever you have um, and give it a go um and i think uh, it, it's it's a really positive step that the kind of the days of people correcting people's irish on, on social media and things like that hopefully they're 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 that's that, that's kind of going and um People feel more more comfortable using using whatever they have, and I suppose a big a big thing about that, and people always generally feel more comfortable speaking the language than writing it. Uh, I know I did when I was younger, um, and thankfully through platforms like TikTok, um, that's the, that's the whole the whole style is being being speaking and and, and using and talking uh, as opposed to writing. So. Perhaps people feel more comfortable that way than, 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 than writing te- than writing tweets and texts and things
2: like that. Yeah, and it's funny because I, even though I've done parts of my education through Irish and even though I'm working on Splunk here on News Talk, I am not 100% comfortable typing in Irish because, again, you just don't want that judgy thing of a teacher getting the red bio right to fix your tweets or whatever. But what I've noticed is on my iPhone, I'm using the iPhone 13. I can set my keyboard to Irish and it helps me with my spelling and it'll tell me if the word I'm doing doesn't exist. And I do think tech is there to help us. And it's great to see it being put available for the Irish language because that wasn't the case a few years ago.
3: That's it. Um, I mean, you, you'd be amazed if you... The amount of tech that's available now, AskQA, well again, can be a huge help in you to learning new words... Um, So, for example, as you say there, you can set your language, your keyboard, Osweag and iOS, on Samsungs, you can set the whole language of the phone. Uh, And what's great about these is when you look at, I mean, the 6,000, there's almost 7,000 languages in the world. And when you compare people, uh, sometimes people think of Irish in a negative fashion and think, you know, Irish is a dying language and things like that. When you look at tech and you say, okay, Samsung, for example, their phones are only available in 70 languages and Irish is one of them. Uh, Facebook is available 160 languages Irish and Twitter is available in 48 languages Irish is one of them and then other uh, um, all these things you can change your language your change your settings to Irish. Gmail is fully available asper Google you can use it asperger um, and WhatsApp is available asper on all phones um, and, and, and again it's just a matter of going into your settings or, or if you change your preferred language on your phone um, you'd be surprised when you download new apps. Like I downloaded the COVID tracker and because my preferred language on my phone was Irish, that app bottom came up in Irish and you can generally understand what, what the buttons are and what they mean if you have a basis in the language um, and, and that's really positive. I'm learning new things the whole time. Like yourself, I, I, I my Irish isn't perfect, even though I work with the language, I never went to a Wales school, Um, but um, what I find really interesting as well is I'm i I'm, I'm trying to bring up my own my my I I had a child recently or, or well I had a baby we had a baby recently and I, I don't have that vocabulary to to use with a young person but I'm learning through these apps and, because I, my Irish is very much spoken Irish that I used in the workplace and not not the kind of language you'd have with a a young person but by using these apps and by using different things in Irish the whole time you're picking up the vocabulary as you go.
2: I do think it's great to see that you know people are still learning and people still want to learn. I walk by so sometimes when I'm feeling energetic, I get off the Lewis a few stops early when I'm coming into Newstalk, and I walk by Cronin O'Grealga and I see that there's signs for the Irish classes and they have them for every level. So if you're someone who's never ever ever learned the language, there's something there to help you. If you're someone who did a bit in school but sort of never really stuck with it, there's something for you. Like. There, there there, are outlets for people regardless of your level of irish it doesn't necessarily have to be on the phone you can go into classes and so on is there much of an uptake like do you get the sense uh, yeah. that it, it is growing
3: yeah and again i i get bogged down the figures too much sometimes but you see there's so many different outlets apart from formal classes which i 100% recommend to anyone who wants to get into it I mean, and Conor Nguelga offer various classes online and in person. There's loads of other different things you can do. And obviously, uh, we've seen a massive shift since Duolingo became available in Irish. And what's really interesting about that, again, is the popularity of the Irish language in Duolingo. We have over 5 million people now have started the Irish language course in Duolingo, which is massive. Like, it it means um, Irish is now in the top 15 languages in the world being learned online on the main app for learning languages. Uh, and again, we've seen so many people come to us, we've got a basis in, in learning Irish, from this free app, Duolingo, and then have gone on to do courses. There's other things like DCU have a Guelga 101 course that's free online that people can register to, which is a, a, a properly thought out course that people can do and, and get a real big basis to go back to, to the language and um, to give people that bit of confidence. Um, and, and you generally find when you go to these, if you go to our courses, there's nine different levels. And, and with all these different things, there's, there's so many different levels to cater from beginners right through to advanced.
2: Um, my final question then is, I have always said it here in Newstalk and I continue to say it, that, you know, the Irish language is much more than Shakhtar Negrilga. Shakhtar is great. It's great to see that energy is backing it and, you know, adding that bit bit of extra clout, but I'm sure also enabling stuff from a financial point of view that may not have been possible otherwise. But this is something that you work with every day of the week and you're not the only one. Conor Noguelg is a big operation. There are multiple bodies. There are multiple outlets. There are plenty of opportunities to use your Irish language. Just seek them out. And, you know, small things like saying Gurmagoth when you're in a shop. You'll be amazed the amount of times people say it back.
3: You would, 100%. And that's what we encourage people to do. Use Goera Sloan, the basic phrases. Uh, I always use them when I'm in shops with bus drivers or anything anywhere I go. I'd always say grammar and dig bits, or, or in a text message, or various things like that, uh, and give give it give it a bit of a go. Think about your, you know, whatever using your name in Irish, using county and place names in Irish. They all they were all originally in Irish, most of them anyway. Things like that. Listening to um, shows like Splanka and News Talk Osqueaga, or um, podcasts. There's so many podcasts out there. Or if you're into social media, again maybe following some of the there's, a, there's loads of influencers on Instagram, people like Munt or Meg or Kerry Cowboy on TikTok, who are doing great stuff through Irish, Really, really uh, fantastic stuff. And um, yeah, and, and other things like Block TG Car, TG of a social media channel just aimed at creating kind of content that's interesting and fun through Irish. Um, so there's lots of different things like that and so many different ways people can so many more ways people can engage with the language now than there ever has been.
2: Uh, so, when 3 lost. Give it a go. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I'm sure, who are for her like Connor and because Osvelin on show air tech talk. August and, and I'm sure a, the the to to the news. There, a time, and his father to, go to the news, go loud but that is it from me for this week if you missed any of this show you'll also find it up on the new stock app powered by go loud i'll be back with shane and kira on monday's news talk breakfast but in the meantime enjoy the rest of your weekend